Hey there, and welcome to Polyamory Uncensored, a podcast where we, your hosts, Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams, interview a poly person each episode, and we try to answer the five tenets of journalism, who, what, when, where, and why, as it pertains to our poly lives. You are listening to episode 19, where we chat with Meng Yao. Stay tuned as we delve into the good, the bad, the ugly, and the just plain complicated truths about our poly lives. All right, so who are you? Uh, I'm Minyao. I am a cis, mostly hetero guy um, who identifies somewhere between relationship anarchy and polyamory, depending on which definitions people like to use. Do you want to say a little more about that? I think that's an interesting thing. Mm -hmm. It's sort of... Yeah, so I tend to like developing meaningful relationships whether there's a romantic component or not um although depending on who you ask within relationship anarchy some people feel that you need to have a political anarchist affiliation mm-hmm. to call yourself that i i certainly don't oh, i have not heard that yeah i don't <laughs> right so, so people say that mm-hmm. but either way i I like the idea of letting relationships develop as as deep as they want to, as they um, as they develop. I just let things kind of settle out wherever they settle. Right, and how does that how is that distinct from polyamory in your thought process? Um, not all of my relationships are are romantic. Um, some of them are potentially even a little less emotionally connected than necessarily what I would even consider a loving relationship. Mm -hmm. So I have people that I see that I consider more friends that I care about, but just I'm not necessarily very emotionally invested in them, but that's where our relationship has kind of settled. And it's people I love hanging out with when I see them. I have a great time with them. and But we just don't have that depth that I would consider like a loving romantic relationship. But that's where we want to be and it's perfectly it's fantastic. So yeah. Cool. So what drew you to polyamory? I think that I've always been more polyamorous. I really like getting to know people and I like having a depth relationship that's not necessarily acceptable if you're completely monogamous. Um, I grew up, I went to a public boarding school as part of my high school, um, as for high school. And it just happens that we had a lot of people who were, um, very open with their relationships at that time. So I think I got college a couple of years early, so it was all fairly normalized for me early on. Um, but it wasn't until after I was in kind of graduate school that... I went, oh, this is something I may want to pursue. And it wasn't until after I was married that really, at that point, at some point in our marriage, we decided we are going to try opening the relationship and try polyamory and then really pursue it. But I think it was always there for a long time. Looking at how my even high school and college relationships, how they ended and how they began, mm-hmm. you're like, no, I, I seem to like getting to know people and I seem to like exploring whether I'm in a relationship or not. 
And this, this seemed to fit me better than a strictly monogamous relationship by any means. Did you have a name for it back then, or did you just start following it polyamory um, recently? Fairly recently, within the last four or five years, I would say I called it polyamory. Um, I think even in high school, there were people who were calling it that, but it wasn't, or at least they shouldn't call it an open relationship. Some sure. people call it polyamory, but it wasn't part of my vocabulary. Um, one of my partners uh, has a previous uh, relationship who was someone who went to the same public boarding school, and that was definitely the person for whom he first learned the language of polyamory. Wow. It's an interesting place. <laughs> it certainly sounds that way. <laughs> Very educational in a whole lot more ways than probably <laughs> most people outside of the community would think. That's not what Absolutely. I assume when I hear boarding school. I always think like pram and proper, prudish, button up, don't ever talk about your feelings. <laughs> Too many British sitcoms oh, or British yeah. movies that's yeah. probably. You put a bunch of math and science nerds in one place. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. Yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, the like I, I like to say the Venn diagram between Polly and, and geeks are like almost a circle. So you get a lot of geeks in one space, you're going to... Yeah, you're gonna They're going to experiment. Yeah. Yeah. In the interest of science. Yep. <laughs> Do it for science. Yeah. Um, we, we joked around that the relationship web that existed in that high school, it was definitely a web. Mm -hmm. So, uh, And I think somebody did try to diagram that out at some point. <laughs> we always threaten to do that, but we never do. It's too complicated. Um, but fun. It would be really fun. So what does polyamory mean to you? Polyamory relationship hierarchy, which I think it means the ability to define a relationship however you want to define it, right? And the ability to have multiple loving relationships or however, whether they're loving or not. Um, for me, the, the ability to really let two people without restriction kind of define their own relationship at any point is, is the key for me. Do you find anything difficult about polyamory? Why, of course not. All, <laughs> isn't it always great and it's all sunshines and puppies? Right. Daisies <laughs> shooting right? on your ass? Right. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we made this podcast. Right. That's all we want to talk about. <laughs> I mean, I just fairly recently ended a relationship with a partner. Mm -hmm. And I think as part of that... Um, there seems to be also a little bit more distance between me and a, and a like lower commitment partner. So mm -hmm. that's, yeah, there's plenty of challenges. Mm -hmm. um, and then trying to figure out how to, in like how much the kids know and how to raise kids as a, within like the poly structure mm -hmm. has always been, has been interesting. So I think, yeah, there's plenty of things that's been challenging. Uh, when do you think you knew you were polyamorous? Um, at least, it's hard to say. Um, it's, it's hard to say exactly when I knew I was polyamorous because I think I knew on some levels before I got married, but I was married to somebody who was fairly monogamous. And it took a couple of years before we were willing to try anything, but once... Once I kind of took that plunge, there was no no going back. So mm -hmm. that's been six years now, five, six years. It's been a couple of years. Mm -hmm. 
So knowing versus knowing. Sure. Right. Identifying. Yeah. 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 I think we've heard a few stories on the podcast of, it really should have been obvious much earlier than it was, Mm -hmm. but people conscientiously making the decision like, no, wait, this is actually what I'm doing is often a later development. I was also talking to somebody uh, yesterday, actually, um, about how easily, easily, I don't know, often people's kind of identities and it, whether it be sexual orientation or gender or um, or relationship orientation, if you believe that's a thing, which I do, if we like polyamory versus monogamy, um, can change over time and sometimes be a hundred percent different. Like... I was attracted to men in my 20s and then in my 40s, no sexual attraction whatsoever. I'm only attracted to women. Was I lying to myself for 20 years? Like, no, not necessarily. You changed. I absolutely believe that. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't necessarily think for most people it's going to be that extreme, but I think that people definitely, you know, your circumstances and what is going on in life and all kinds of things impact where you are in a relationship orientation and a mm-hmm. sexual orientation, all those variables. Yeah. And no matter whether you're having me take a personality test <laughs> or a relationship orientation test, I seem to always walk along that border. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I tend to, I think I see myself kind of tipping one way or another, right? I can see myself doing all of the above potentially. Okay. Um, which is why it's interesting as as things are changing. I'm realigning. I'm trying to figure out where where I am as I'm I'm going down that path, and figure right. out if things change. And because I'm going, I can see myself potentially doing either or. I can see myself being monogamish. I can see myself being in a very open poly relationships. But where I'm going to end up, who knows. Right, and I think a lot of that does affect you know, like what relationships you are in. Yeah. yeah has an impact on that. Absolutely. You know, it's, you've got to figure out what is important to you, but a lot of us, I think, can envision a range of possible satisfying options and who you encounter and what their range of satisfying possible options also includes. If you only date married folks, you're probably going to assume you're going to be poly with them (laughs) for a good period of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, at what point uh, did you feel different, if any point? Do you feel different, maybe? Different in what way? We leave it a very open-ending question. Anyone else. (laughs) feel different from other people. It's an open-ended question, intentionally. Um, Some people don't. I... Well, especially since I'm re-entering the dating pool, I certainly don't think I fit the the normative expectations of a monogamous relationship. That's certainly not... That's certainly not where I fit in. Mm -hmm. Um, That being said, I think everyone is looking for for love and for affection, and I don't think that that's really different than what anyone else is really looking for. So, Mm -hmm. no matter how we choose to go about it, and I think my path is slightly different than the vast majority of people out there. <laughs> so, but then there's been, there's always been community, right? There's always been people who I think 
have similar opinions to me, choose to date the same way. I've never felt that I was isolated. Mm -hmm. And I've always felt I had community of some sort. That is probably also like growing up in a, or or going to high school in a community of people that are like-minded. That's Mm got to help. Like, you know, you probably didn't have the, the jock click and the burnout click and, I don't know. I assume. I have no there, idea. There was, there was definitely those clicks, but they really? were much smaller. Oh, okay. It's yeah. the problem is when you, when you put that many people with the specific goal of you're trying to collect students who are math and science focused, mm-hmm. right? I have a T-shirt from from the high school, an anniversary shirt that says, you know, whatever team name football, right? Mm-hmm. You know what is it? What does it say on the back? Um, still haven't lost a game or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because we never had a football team. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. So you know, it's hard yeah. to have a jog right. group yeah. when when you don't have a football team and yep. your tennis players are kind of the stars of the. <laughs> Yeah, we actually in my high school it was so small. Like my graduating class was 111 people that it was really interesting seeing the dynamics of what were supposed to be cliques, like what you saw on, like, you know, teen movies. Because our, like, kind of captain of the football team was also the captain of, like, the math club Mm -hmm. and was also um, a super nice, chill guy. And then there was a, like, the quarterback was also in theater and was in, like, painting, like, really gorgeous paintings in art class every day. Mm -hmm. No one fit a stereotype, right. and I was like, well, yeah, because it's not a fucking movie. <laughs> like, this makes sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That does make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and I think, too, in the experience like where you're, where they have sort of sifted out a group of kids who, if left in their local neighborhood high schools, probably mm-hmm. would have had the experience of being often painfully different from right. many of their peers or most of their peers, and bringing them together... Um, you get to have an age-appropriate socialization experience. <laughs> you get to be a you know sort of normal teenager, as much as is probably available, especially given boarding school and some of the other things that we were talking about. Um, I went to uh, a magnet school. It was also a public school, not mm-hmm. as not as not quite as dramatic of a sifting experience as you had. But I felt really grateful in college when I met people who had had the experience of being like that one really weird kid. Mm-hmm. And like, right. you know what? I was I was not, but I was not because there were a whole bunch of us and we got to all hang out together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was the weird because kid because everyone thought I was gay and then I was like I'm not even gay what the fuck (laughs) 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 I mean I'm queer as fuck now but at the time I was like what I don't even I don't like anyone (laughs) (laughs) all of you suck (laughs) so uh, where do you feel you are in your poly journey that's a very good question (laughs) and the answer is I don't know I'm figuring that out right now um, especially since I just ended a relationship with somebody that is, that was higher commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm kind of taking, I'm taking a step back and figuring out what some of my goals are and what I'm looking for and how I should go about achieving that. So having listened to some of the other podcasts, you know, people come on and talk because they have a, something they want to say, they have a specific 
message sometimes that they want to share. I'm like, no, this is just stream of consciousness. This is what I'm <laughs> thinking about. And I was asked to talk about a topic that is happening in the moment. And so it's on my mind. And that's without any specific outcomes, without a message necessarily to share other than, man, it's poly and it's things change and it can be a little hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess that also kind of gets at the where do you hope to go question a little Mm -hmm. bit, although I think we'll probably come back a little bit more to that in the specific topic section. We could save it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, then, um, why do you think you are Polly or a relationship anarchist? I think it makes sense to me. It's, Mm -hmm. I don't... And something I try to tell the kids, even though sometimes it backfires on me, is that if a rule doesn't make sense, ask questions. Don't mm-hmm. just take authority because yeah. don't accept authority because they're authority. Always ask questions, and sometimes things that I'm hoping to resolve very quickly take a lot longer than they should. <laughs> um, but monogamy clearly wasn't working for me, and whether it was because it was that specific partner, or whether it's because I just don't. The underlying structure didn't work for me, right? But either way, it didn't work. So I wanted to try something different. And having tried it, polyamory seemed to be a much better fit for me. And I like, I really appreciate the option of pursuing more, a deeper connection with any human being, Mm -hmm. right? As opposed to the... You know, how often in monogamy do you go, oh, you can't hang out with that person, or you can't do X, Y, and Z, and all the limitations that are put on a potential developing relationship, the things that you can and can't do. Right. right. And then it's socially sanctioned to mm-hmm. be like, oh, no, I can't believe that you are comfortable with that person hanging right. out with their X, whatever. Person or the opposite what. sex or yeah. something, yeah. Yeah, that's a very big one. Mm-hmm. Don't have friends who are not your gender. Yeah. Like, um, you know, when people are queer, mm-hmm. also, that complicates yeah, things a little bit. <laughs> what about all of our non-binary folks? Like, come yeah. on now, don't erase them. <laughs> Excellent point. All right. Um, so, why did you agree to be interviewed? You well, can say because I bullied you into it if you want to. What, what I was uh, slightly bullied into, but the reality is, this is something that's been on my mind recently. Um, I mean, something that's been, I've been thinking about for a while now, um, but with relationship structures changing, it's that much more so on my mind right now as I'm figuring out whether this is still what I'm looking for and if I want a nesting partner or not. Um, it's things that I'm processing. Well, that sounds like a really good segue to (laughs) the topic. Well, let's take a quick break. Okay. The Toolshed is a mission-driven, education-based sex toy store located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. More than your typical adult store, the Toolshed provides quality, body-safe products that enhance the sexual lives and relationships of their customers, and they do it all in a comfortable, compassionate, and welcoming atmosphere. Not located near Milwaukee? That's okay. The Toolshed's online shop at www.toolshedtoys.com serves customers all over the world. 
The Toolshed strives to be the source for accurate, up-to-date information about sexual health and pleasure. Their store is staffed by sexual educators who are invested in providing sex-positive and inclusive support to their customers throughout their lifespan, no matter where they're from. The Toolshed stocks a large selection of products made from body-safe materials. They have sex toys for folks of all genders, orientations, and inclinations, including gear for strap-on play, vibrators to stimulate a variety of body parts, BDSM gear, kink supplies, and much more. The Toolshed is also proud to offer a large inventory of gender expression supplies like binders, soft packers, shaping underwear, and breast forms. Last but not least, the Toolshed stocks lots of great books on topics like ethical non-monogamy, how to negotiate consent, kinky play, sexual pleasure, sexual health, and so much more. They've got over 500 different titles in stock at their Milwaukee location and host a regular monthly book club too. Every day, the Toolshed staff answers questions about products, pleasure, health, and relationships, all without shame or stigma. The Toolshed also offers in-person and online private consultations for people who have in-depth questions about any of those things, as well as other subjects like communication and relationships, establishing healthy boundaries, fertility basics, alternative menstrual products, and other topics folks deal with every day as sexual beings. You can visit the Toolshed in person at 2427 North Murray Avenue in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, or you can check out our online store at www.toolshedtoys.com. From now through the end of 2019, you can use promo code POLY2019, P-O-L-Y-2019, at checkout for 10% off your next purchase. Thanks. All right, and we're back. So what is the topic that you would like to discuss today? Nesting partners. And I think for me at least, that also, especially since I'm a poly parent, I think that also then talking about kind of child raising and it kind of works into that for me. And what is a nesting partner? Um, oh, wait, just in case there are people who... Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, so, it's kind of an in, in poly community known word, but right. for anyone who's new to poly mm-hmm. or not poly at all, might not have heard that mm-hmm. term before. For me, it's a partner that I am actively sharing a space with, that I'm living with. Um, and there, at least for me, there's an implication, there's a higher commitment. It's a higher commitment partner for that reason. I kind of hear nesting partner um, as a way to maybe be a little more inclusive. Not everybody wants to participate in marriage for a long time. Mm-hmm. Many class there were classifications of people who could not participate in mm-hmm. legal marriage. So nesting partner, it's sort of a cozy way I think of mm-hmm. saying the person that you live with, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, that you actively share a space with, right? Yeah, and that. I do hear it a lot more in the relationship anarchy communities, especially for people that don't like the um, assumed privilege that comes with labels like husband and wife, or assumed privilege, the actual privileges that come with it. Mm -hmm. And, um, And it's a nice way to be like, yes, this person is a little bit maybe a higher priority because we say share a mortgage or we both pay rent to the same space and that's a responsibility we both have, but they are not necessarily a primary or they're not necessarily a, yeah, on a hierarchy scale or something like that. Yeah. That makes sense. All right. So now that we've figured out what we mean by nesting (laughs) partner, um, I think we had talked a little bit about wanting to talk about. So in our community, there's a lot of discussion about being solo poly and living independently and wanting to have multiple relationships. There's been some discussion about, when you are married, opening up that relationship. But 
there's really a, at least another category of people who might be more traditionally defined as single and looking for that kind of nesting partner relationship, but are part of the poly community. And that's a little bit different looking than a sort of average monogamous single person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what is, I guess, also the advantage of looking for a nesting partner versus um, any other style or kind of partner? So speaking for myself, over the years I've realized that I do like having a little more time commitment, a little more focus on me from a partner. For me, for me to feel that it's not successful, but for me to get the things that I want out of at least some of my relationships. So knowing that, that I would actually prefer to see a partner more often than not, and there's the benefits of potentially sharing resources, mm-hmm. of sharing a mortgage, of sharing um, transportation, et cetera. There's just some practical benefits yeah. of living and sharing a space together yeah. um, that I like. And mm-hmm. seeing a person more often than not is somehow still appealing to me. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That does make sense, especially if you're in a relationship with someone where you're like, why are, you know, seeing someone long-term or whatever, why are we paying two different rents, rents or whatever exactly. if we are basically with each other every other night or something? Yeah, Exactly. Makes sense. And having kids, talking about, like, what we were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. that... I take my kids to one extracurricular activity that I've set aside one day a week for. And it's hard to do anything else but having more adults around, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a firm believer in the idea that it takes a village to raise any kid. Mm-hmm. So I like having additional adults. I like having the attention that they can give to the kids, but also just the time that they can offer and then sharing some of that responsibility too. Mm-hmm. And that's that's appealing. Um, I guess at what level of commitment or maybe, I don't know that there's usually a timeline for this kind of thing, but when do you decide someone is at the level of being a nesting partner instead of just a, I don't know, someone you're dating or someone you're committed to, but I wouldn't ask. Or how, how does that process does work, maybe? Yeah. I, think, <laughs> I think I'm still figuring that out yeah. because I think for my first when i started polyamory i was married so i had a nesting partner Mm -hmm. um and then as my marriage was coming to end i had kind of a nesting partner that i was staying with for almost a year for a fairly long time and it's only in the last two three years that i realized it was more potentially single poly and then looking for a nesting partner, which is an entirely different different experience and different feel. And but for most of that time I had a partner that I was fairly that was a fairly high commitment who had kids who where we seemed to line up in certain ways. And now that that's ended, I'm this is kind of a new experience for me because I don't think I know exactly when will be a good fit. In my mind, it's a process that should take potentially up years. Right. Right. It's mm-hmm. the, I need to make sure we have a relationship that's functional first, that then can potentially support it becoming a nesting relationship, mm-hmm. and then 
and how that person integrates into a family, a family. and mm-hmm. whether, you know, they mm-hmm. also may have kids or, right. you know, how that all and integrates. In some ways, I have a nesting, not partner, but I have a roommate. Roommates? Yeah. The who's... children? Or do you mean a real roommate? He means well, a real roommate. I, I, I have a real roommate. roommate. Oh, okay. So I sometimes I'm, call my child my roommate. <laughs> I'm roommates with one of my high school roommates right oh. now. So we both, we're both, you know, cis males. We both got divorced at about the same time. And we said, you know, we should... Right. We, we should know we together. get along. Yeah, we get yeah. along and we lived together before. We lived together in high school and we college. Save the money. And yeah. It's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and then he's been doing some of the co parenting. And mm-hmm. so, again, mm-hmm. this is a purely platonic relationship, mm-hmm. where, but we're sharing um, resources to live together and we're sharing some of the co parenting responsibilities. Right. And this is part of the reason why I think I kind of once in a while think of myself as a relationship anarchist because. This doesn't necessarily fall squarely in any other definition for me. Right, right. It's right? not a mm-hmm. sort of typical right. relationship with a right. friend, but it's yeah. also clearly not a romantic partner exactly. relationship. <laughs> right. And so that's we don't have a lot of good vocabulary, vocabulary for, for those words, yeah. for other those than relationships. My roommate? And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so how does then a relationship fit into that, right? Um, and should it? Um, for a while there, I had another friend who was living in Chicago who we were actively talking about having um, him and his wife move up to to Wisconsin. And again, not necessarily to be to live with us, but to live close enough. They had kids who are very close to age to my kids, and they come up frequently already. Um, so we talked about maybe having them live close enough, like... We were talking about within walking distance, oh, where wow. then we can try to kind of, again, share the child-raising responsibility, like create, create the village. Is it someone, like a, a partner, or someone just just good No, friends? this is, I, I'm clearly trying to recreate my high school and college days. <laughs> this is one of our other roommates. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, in high school, who we've, most of us who went to that high school, we ended up going to the same college, so then we lived either with each other or in proximity to each other for seven seven years. In Wisconsin? In, in Illinois. In Illinois, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so in some ways, we, we're still close enough that we kind of actively talk about yeah. um, parenting and well, co-parenting even each other's kids. <laughs> um, Creating that little polycommune. Right. right? Yeah. But the, without the, the romantic relationship. Without the romantic, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. him and his wife are definitely <coughs> not poly, but then there's clear communications of affection for for all members uh, of the group involved. <laughs> so that didn't work out because he couldn't find a, a job up here that worked. So he found a job, still a new job closer to Chicago, so they stayed, they stayed put. Still pretty close. Yeah. But, <laughs> but not the same but not thing. Walking right. Right. It's not the same thing. Yeah. I mean, not, can you quick grab them at school because yeah. I'm running late? Yeah. There's just a huge amount of those practical day-to-day things that even if you live 20, 30 minutes away, sometimes it seems like an extra burden to do that for each other, right? To drive through traffic, right. to even to see a partner, much less pick up kids and, and transport kids to activities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, an, it's an extra step that just makes it that much harder. There's something to be said for proximity. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So are you mostly seeking out or dating single people? 
as distinct from poly people? I'm not quite oh, sure. Yeah. Like, I'm curious what you mean by the question. Uh, I ask because I feel like if I were seeking out someone to live with me, it would be more difficult if I'm dating married folks that already have nesting partners. So I that guess, does make sense. Yeah. 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 Um, and I think from my my viewpoint is that I pretty much only date married people. <laughs> right, so, right. Like, so do I'm I like, even know any of those so people? So I'm like, I don't date people <laughs> that could move in with me ever. Right. So I don't know yet because the last couple of dates I've went on are people with people who are single. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm not restricting myself that way. We'll see sure. what happens. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I've also haven't really been actively dating that much for the last two years, so this mm-hmm. is kind of new yeah. territory for me again. Because mm-hmm. uh, the last two years was very, very casual, very you know, I'll go out, grab coffee, but so dating, but not dating with an intent, maybe. Right. Well, that's even hard to say, right? Because I think dating implies the possibility for something developing is mm-hmm. there, mm-hmm. Um, but I also I think previously knew where my time and energy was going to be probably focused. Ah, right. And I just simply didn't think I had that much time and effort and energy to give to another relationship. So I sort of, I, I knew that it was going to be a slightly lower commitment, but now that I have more time and energy and resource to, to commit, right. it's, it's more I open-ended. It's much more open-ended and it's, and I think there is more more activity, more willingness on my part to see where to pursue something mm-hmm. um, where maybe that wasn't as as present before. That does make sense. Mm-hmm. Do you perceive any particular challenges in trying to date in the way that you're sort of... Mm-hmm. I mean, it, yes, it's open-ended, but yeah. you have hope. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, well... One of the challenges is kind of just kind of stepping back and reassessing and making sure this is still what I'm looking for, right? Mm-hmm. Because what made sense three years ago doesn't necessarily make sense now, especially if I truly think that it's going to take years before I'm willing to mess with somebody. Right. At that point, my kids are going to be heading towards their teenage years, right? right? They're going to be more independent. Does it really make sense to try to add additional people to that household in that time frame. Do you need right? that kind of help? Do that I, point? Right. Yeah, yeah. If they're more independent, then if they can get themselves, if they're driving their own activities more, if they're able to get to and from their own activities, is the benefit of sharing some of those resources really, does that outweigh the, the potential issues? Because ultimately... I'm still somewhat introverted and like my own space, mm-hmm. right? Ideally, one of the things that I've always thought about would be ideal be if I own either a multi-unit condo or if mm-hmm. I own a duplex. And then we can just, even though we live really close, we can each have our own space. Separate, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even when my friends and I were kind of looking at them moving up, right, we went through a couple of iterations of, do we want to do something like a commune when we really just share resources and share everything? The more we looked at the more, it just didn't make sense. It was too complicated, mm-hmm. right? Complicated. So if somebody wants to move out, what do you do? How do you create that contract? How do you create... Mm-hmm. How do you share... How do you share? let someone in, too? Right. Yeah. But when you let someone in, you need to have an exit clause. How do you let yep. them 
out if they choose to Who pays the rent then, yeah. Right? <laughs> yep. We interviewed someone who grew up in a commune, and they had processes, which apparently are available. Yeah, uh, well, it was like it was yeah. going to college, essentially. Right. Like you're staying in a dorm kind mm-hmm. of thing, yeah, yeah. So when, but it would be complicated to implement something like that right. in, from scratch for and sure. It, actually, the really funny yeah. thing is, right? I moved here from Massachusetts, and one of my partners in Massachusetts um, was trying to start her own like tiny house coming. Cool. So okay. we were actually, so I was actually helping her draft some of the um, the bylaws of how oh. do you then. Like, how do you share property? Like, how, yeah. where does income come from? Like, how do you share income? And how do you share... How do you then let people out of this yeah. if the property is communally owned, right? Yeah. Do they get X amount when they leave? How do they well, buy themselves out, etc.? In our polycommune episode, we didn't talk about money as much as I think we probably should have. Right. And what I, I think I failed to clarify is that the people that started that particular one were independently wealthy. Mm-hmm. Like, they had money. Yeah. And I feel like the people who are still running it have money. So And that's the most challenging part money. is that you yeah. need money <laughs> you somehow, money. right? Yeah. There's got to be a seed yep. right. yeah. capital to begin a project yeah, like that. Yeah, you can't just do And it. there's always a discussion of how many economies like that fail because they're hoping for that independent wealthy contributor to come <laughs> yeah. in and give them money. Magic money, yeah. Right, and yeah. how many... The lottery ticket, yeah. Yep, yeah. So... All of that has been kind of in the back of my mind of going, well, I like my own space, but I like the idea of sharing that space with someone in under the right circumstances. But now kind of taking a step back and kind of thinking through all of that is, does that make still make sense for me? Um, and that's that's ongoing. And that's, I think, part of this discussion is these are all the things that I'm thinking about. Um, as I'm thinking about a nesting partner and whether that makes sense or not. Well, I also think that even if your kids are old enough that the person who you may be bringing into your life isn't contributing to, say, raising them, mm-hmm. they might have a young child that you can help contribute mm-hmm. to raising them. So, like, mm-hmm. yeah, um, I could see that being, a, you know, a give and take that Absolutely. you're not necessarily, yeah. Then whether they contribute to, you know, raising the code, whatever that may mean, mm-hmm. I still believe having additional adults around is always, always a positive yeah. thing. Because yeah. I know I'm not on all the time, and as a parent, it just sometimes often feels like you really need to be on for the kids, and sometimes you just go, I just don't want to deal with you guys. Okay, yeah. Go do your own thing. Yeah. Or, or here's another adult who's willing to, who has the energy right now for this. Uh, there have been so many times in mm-hmm. which, and I feel like we, yeah, my my husband and I do kind of, one will have an off day, and so the other one's like, all right, well, I'm going to be the parent today, yeah. and then mm-hmm. one, the other will have an off day, and it's like, all right, I'm stepping up. We're going to be the, we're going to be the parent today. Mm-hmm. And when those things happen, and I kind of realize they're happening at the time, I just think, single parenthood is terrifying <laughs> because yeah. you have to you just have to be on you have mm-hmm. to be the parent all the time you don't get a break and i've grown well up you sometimes get a break if you're in a divorce situation true, but you don't yes. get to predict the timing of it it doesn't no. come as needed at all no yeah and some people are single parents and there's yeah. nothing no breaks there. ever no breaks yeah. and you don't get yeah. that and yeah and i grew up with a single parent and i i really do i'm like whoa yeah, this uh, makes a lot of sense that my mom was 
crazy because we drove her crazy four five girls technically because my niece then became like a younger sister and just i i bet we we kind of killed her from the inside out <laughs> she always that would be, be very yeah. very challenging situation mm-hmm. as a parent it's hard to imagine what that would take I haven't. I. I it's hard one. enough with two. I have like a half a kid because she's only two. You know. Yeah. No. Toddler, she's hit the yeah. moving around. Yeah. No, still yeah. where you left her stage. That's full blown. <laughs> yep. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Is there anything else that you want to talk about about looking for nesting partners, the way nesting partnerships might be perceived, or not nesting? You know, differently from mm-hmm. like other kinds of relationships. Or, yeah. I think the perception is that if you have a nesting partner, that there is, if not at least a descriptive hierarchy, mm-hmm. right? That that because you share a space, right? That there is some difference, whether it's true or not, mm-hmm. right? But there's certainly a perception of there that being there being hierarchy, and it's interesting that when I first started um, dating, when I was married that didn't seem to be, at least I certainly didn't notice that being as much of a problem. Um, and now for the most part, you know, I'm, I have my own space and it hasn't really come up, but I certainly see that, you know, see people like talking. I, I hear people talking about that, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. And I hear a lot of the concerns of people who, who do date people who have nesting partners. And I'm not sure how cross that roll when I get there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's certainly something to for me to think about. Again, depending on the type of dynamic and the type of relationships I want to form. I think certainly for myself right now, I want something a little more time and effort intensive mm-hmm. for myself. So if that becomes a problem later on, mm-hmm. we'll cross that bridge. Right. Right. Well, I think that's really probably the thing that is sort of unique about a nesting relationship mm-hmm. and that can make that, if that's something that people want, you know, sort of a special and unique relationship. Mm-hmm. Like you do have that much more domestic time and right. you see a lot more facets of who they are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they and then they see that about you, too. And that's I mean, that has the potential to really enrich a relationship. It also has the potential to drive people crazy. Yep. And sometimes you won't know about that until you get there. It's true. I mean, and speaking of, do you think there are any disadvantages to having a nesting partner? You see them a lot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) But the the same advantages end up being potential disadvantages. Yeah. Where if when... Because often if you have a partner that you don't see very often, like any time you see them is a special time, right? You're... Not that you're more present, but you're consciously trying to be present when you when you don't have that much time, and you share time with with a partner you don't see that often. Mm-hmm. And but when you live with somebody, right, you're not going to be on all the time, mm-hmm. right? And then do you at some point start? The concern is always one: do you actually fit together as nesting partners, or do you move in together? And at some point you go, oh man, this really doesn't. If that's some pet peeves, that, you know, I, I'm noticing yeah. things about you that I don't necessarily appreciate, mm-hmm. or us living together just doesn't quite work out. Yeah. And then the other half of that is you end up doing a lot of day-to-day things, and then 
I know that both when I was married and when I was messing with one of my other partners in Boston, right? Just making sure that you are present for the other person when when you are living with them. So that at least setting aside time, making sure that you have time where you're trying to be present for each other mm-hmm. can, be, can be challenging, mm-hmm. right? As of not just assuming that that person will, will, will always be there mm-hmm. and recognizing that they're still that you need to make the time for the other person. And I think having children in the mix also definitely complicates that a lot because, you know, in a nesting relationship, that person is going to have opinions about how Mm -hmm. things ought to work and Mm -hmm. how, you know, maybe behavior or, you know, rules or, Mm -hmm. you know, any number of things, um, what kinds of activities in the limited time. Mm -hmm. um, And you can't, blow off those people's opinions mm-hmm. even, but it's also really hard right. to hear like criticism yeah. about how you raise your children mm-hmm. absolutely you know, like, absolutely i think that's a very it, it's a it's a tough space to navigate yeah. or so i imagine i don't really know because i have been like no other adults that are allowed to be having you know mm-hmm. like i've i've created this bubble very intentionally because mm-hmm. i don't want to deal with that negotiation but i I, I'm, that's for me, and I'm not saying my way is superior. I'm saying it's this is the path I've chosen. Years and years ago, I had a a kind of like lease issue where I was living with three different, uh, two different roommates, and they were both moving out in July. Our lease was up in July, and I was like, all right, well, we're just not going to renew the lease for another uh, year. And um, this was when I was in college, when you know you you have a different roommate every semester. Sometimes, like it was. It was insane how many people I had coming in and out of that one apartment. But I was kind of technically homeless from like July to November because I had an apartment lined up, but they weren't moving out for a little while. But because of it, I moved in with my partner, my partner of like many years, not officially, like I didn't sign any paperwork or anything, but I was just like, I just need to stay with you for three months. It's going to be fine. Uh, and it was not fine. I realized in those three months that we have totally different cleanliness, living mm-hmm. styles, like what we expect of one another when it comes to living in a, and sharing a space. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, and after that, I got to live in my own space, which was amazing. I got to live in a studio apartment by myself without three roommates at all times, which was like so liberating for a, like a college student or a young person. And it was wonderful, but those three months were like the the kind of um, I don't know, like uh, almost a trial period that mm-hmm. I realized I cannot live with this partner, and I never, ever, ever can. <laughs> uh, and so I think that it can be really tricky knowing, exactly. yeah, like and finding out, especially when you've done the move, because oh, I hate moving so much, but. You move in with someone, it's a huge commitment, and then you find out, wow, we really don't, we can't live together. We don't mesh. Yeah. I think, how do you know, right? Hopefully yeah. your partner's over enough that <laughs> you kind of pick up on mm-hmm. on their cleanliness, on kind of expectations for mm-hmm. how you share space. But mm-hmm. sometimes it, if they're not with you most of the time, <laughs> there's no way of knowing. Yeah. I mean, again, I think we have really good communication school skills yeah. here in Polyland. Yes. So yes. there can be conversations about expectations and hopes Absolutely. and thresholds. And, you know, I can't tolerate it if X or, <laughs> you know, okay, well, all right, but I can't tolerate it if Y. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. finding those things out 
it may not give you all the information right. you need, but it can give you a lot a of lot the information. Of information. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And I think in a, in a maybe a better relationship, it could have been a conversation, not mm. just a, holy shit, I can't live here. Yeah. <laughs> like a, oh, well, how about, you know, we do X, Y, Z, and that will help mm. me feel comfortable in this living space. Yeah. I think well, you were probably pretty was, young, too. I was very young, and I also knew it was temporary. So I'm like, well, I'm not going to change him. I'm not going to make him buy a vacuum, <laughs> though he should have. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. But, oh, my goodness. But <laughs> I'm like, I don't, need to, I don't need to fix this situation right now. It's only for three months. But, oh, it was a rough, rough, yeah. rough time. <laughs> but it sounds like you also learned an enormous amount about your own needs and preferences. And, like, those are things... That without having had that experience, you might not have figured out until some other potentially more complicated point in your life mm -hmm. where the lessons might have been even harder. Right. Is there anything else that you want to say? Anything we've left out or forgotten to ask? We covered quite a bit of, uh, quite a bit in a short amount of time. I think that's true. Oh, good. Yeah. So that's a solid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for agreeing to be interviewed. Thank you. Quite welcome. All right, so that is it from us at Polyamory Uncensored. We have been Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams. We'd like to thank my husband Rob for helping us through our many sound issues and thank myself for editing the podcast so we sound smart. You can follow us on Facebook at Polyamory Uncensored, contact us at polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com, and if you'd like to support us at all, you can send us a monthly contribution at anchor.fm slash polyamoryuncensored and simply click on the support this podcast button. We will forever be grateful for any contribution you can manage to making this podcast better and more efficient. We hope you have enjoyed this episode and remember, we love you. Bye. Bye.